Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the foul front. All right, welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, episode number 12. This week we are talking all about scouting. Uh, we got Chase White from Hunt Hickory Creek. Uh, outfitters and uh, i just wanted to give a quick shout out to high prairie sportsmen over there on youtube you can find them on uh, facebook youtube instagram all that stuff uh, a lot of good content um, and videos and you might even learn something while you're over there uh, also uh, please go check out our facebook group or our facebook page um, well on facebook um, if you get in there we can get a pulse on exactly what you guys want to hear because we are here for you, and we want to make sure we're covering the stuff that you want us to cover. Head on over there. We're always uh, willing to talk, and let's get into this week's episode. All right, today on the episode, we have Chase White from Hunt Hickory Creek Outfitters, and uh, Ch- Chase, why don't you go ahead and give us a little introduction? Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us on, Ben. Uh, we're, uh, we're knee-deep in turkey season right now, but uh, of course, waterfowl's never never far out of sight or out of mind so we're uh we're constantly uh thinking about that and and uh expanding on it this year so we're we're pretty excited about what we've got going on and uh excited to be on the show nice where are you guys based out of uh so our home base is in howard kansas which is about uh 60 miles east southeast of wichita and um, our new our new waterfowl expansion is going to be um, north uh, west northwest of Wichita, out between Cheyenne Bottoms and uh, Quivera National Refuge. So, but our our main base is uh, located there in Howard. So, awesome. So, how did you get into guiding? Uh, well, that's a long story, but long story short, I, uh, was a professional bow tech, uh, through college and, uh, met a guy, uh, his name is actually Ben, Ben Everidge is his name. And he guided in, uh, Illinois for four years after college. And, 
we became really close friends and, and, uh, I'm back, I'm originally from Virginia and we became really close friends in Virginia. And after I graduated college, it was something I'd always thought about. And, uh, it, uh, kind of worked out. I ended up guiding in, in Illinois for a year and, uh, had a good time out there. I just was looking for a little bit of a change. And then I've, I've been in Kansas for four years now. So, um, and we, we do it all out here. I was mainly deer guiding in Illinois. We did a little bit of waterfowl, but not a whole lot. So um, we chase the birds pretty hard now here in Kansas. So I'm, I'm always happy about that. So Awesome. Well, I guess we ought to talk about the meat and potatoes of the episode. I don't want to keep you from putting those turkeys to bed or nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. I guess we ought to talk about the importance of scouting. Yeah, uh, well, there is, uh, in my mind, there is probably nothing more important than scouting. And you could talk to a lot of your hardcore guys and your, your real big waterfowlers and outfitters. And, you know, scouting is, is where your bread and butter is. Um, you know, something I always try to tell people, um, you know, that are maybe getting into it or, um, you know, or trying to become more efficient everybody wants to spend 90% or 90 or hundred percent of their time hunting and they don't want to do all the scouting. Well, I can promise you if you sprint, if you spend 90% of your time scouting and 10% of your time hunting, your hunting is going to be leaps and bounds better. I mean, it's scouting is the single most important part in my mind to do uh, pre hunt, of course. Um, and especially in, in the game that I'm in of running an outfitter, um, it's the most important thing, you know, to get clients on birds and, and, uh, try to, try to make guys successful on hunts and, and try to try to make some memories with them. So scouting is, is by far the biggest thing, I think, uh, um, as far as getting your waterfowl experience started. So, yeah, the reason I'm having you on today is because I, I've been hunting waterfowl seriously for five years about. And uh, when I uh, when I first started, people told me you got to get out and scout, and scout. And I said, "Okay, what's that mean? Uh, what do I got to go look for the birds?" Right. Okay. At first, scouting to me was literally just trying to find a spot to hunt. Right. Nothing to nothing to do with birds. But I think one of the biggest problems that we that weakest weekend warriors yeah. have yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem that we have is. I, you don't have, I'm, you don't have time. I'm always, yeah, I don't have time. Exactly. The most precious resource that I have is time. That's right. You know, people, have, I wish, I wish I could pay a hundred bucks and know where all the birds yeah. are, but what would you, what's a good piece of advice for you when you're limited time? Um, how do you get the scouting in? Well, so I'll give you a little bit of rundown of what we do. Um, and, where our waterfowl operation has been based out of the last few years down here in Howard is uh, a little bit different than the expansion that we're, we're bringing about this year um, in central Kansas. Um, we hunt mainly water where we're at. We don't have down here near Howard area. We don't have a lot of ag ground. There's some, um, but it's not like central Kansas where, it's it's actually pretty much backwards you know there's some water out there but you know we're in cattle country here and there's a lot of watershed lakes and 
and cattle ponds and creeks and rivers. And um, so for us, uh, scouting is a little bit different uh, in both sides of our operation. We'll be different in both sides of our operation. But uh, a typical day for us is, you know, um, obviously we get up, do our hunt in the morning from what we scouted the day before. But we usually have one or two guides um, running the actual hunt, and then everybody else is scouting. And what we found that has helped us be more efficient is to literally have, you know, I'll call it a, a mail route, you know, like a mailman's got a route that he does every single day and he delivers to the same places. Well, we do something very similar to that where we have guides or, or scouters that will, they'll check the same route every single day. And, you know, with us hunting mainly water down here, we're hunting, we hunt a lot of loafing ponds and, um, you know, a lot of the birds will roost in some of these big, big watershed lakes um, and then go to some of these smaller ponds and loaf and they'll even feed. There'll be some smart, you know, some smart weed and, you know, that kind of some natural, natural stuff in some of these ponds. Um, but middle of the morning, after all the birds have kind of got done with their morning flight, you know, literally driving around and try to find these birds on these ponds. And it may, it may mean, you know, you can't necessarily drive on a farm. You got to drive and park your truck and walk a half a mile into a place to check a pond and then walk back out. And then, you know, it's, it's hours upon hours every single day, miles and miles on your truck and, you know, a lot of windshield time and uh, a lot of time spent looking through the binocs. Um, but uh, that's how we do it here. Now, in central Kansas with some of the guys that I'm bringing on, um, we it's going to be a little bit different. You know, there's two huge refuges out there, and in those refuges – um, will hold, you know, sometimes up to a million birds, you know, between the two of them. And it may be a case of driving around in the afternoon, you know, trying to find a feed um, or the morning. Um, it, or it may be a case of literally going to the refuge and following the birds when they get up to go feed. Uh, so hunting fields is a little bit different scouting-wise than what it is uh, timeline wise for us, uh, hunting pond, mainly ponds down here in, in Howard. So, so, okay. Excellent. Would you say it's something you just said right there that resonated with me? You were talking about putting miles and miles on your truck. Um, me and a buddy, we got a truck at the same time. He's not a waterfowl hunter, but a buddy asked me, yeah, well, you know, um, I went and got my second oil change. I said, second oil change. I'm like, five deep right now. Um, and yeah, specifically just from every time I'm on my way home, I see birds flying. I, you know, I'll follow them within reason, but just to kind of check out the area or see where they're heading. But especially more, more during the leading up to the season, not so much during the season, because once I'm in the season, I'm, I, I devote 90% of my time hunting and about 10% to scouting. Just, Due to time constraints. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I've put, uh, I've probably put 140,000 miles, uh, probably 130,000 miles in my truck in the last four years. And a lot of that is driving around looking for ducks. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So what, uh, what would you say? All right. We know it's not just going out and looking for birds. Oh, there's a duck. Uh, what are, what specifically are we looking for? Right, right. 
Uh, well, so there's a variety of things that I that I will look for. Um, you know, timing is a big thing. Um, weather has a big a big factor on. You know, you may scout birds in the afternoon, and you may get a cold front that pushes through overnight, uh, and those birds may not get up and fly first thing in the morning, where the day before they were. Um, how they're sitting on the ponds or or on a field. Um, and where they're at on a pond or a lake or a field, you know, are they, are they tight to the edge? Are they in the middle? You know, are they up in a cove in a pond? Um, is there, is there good hide? Are we going to have to run layout blinds? We have to run panel blinds. We have to run a frames. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And once, once we've found a spot that we want to hunt, um, Obviously, the first thing is make sure we have permission. Um, and there's a variety of ways that we go about it, but there's a there's an app that I would say probably 90% of your guides or outfitters use, and it's called OnX uh, Hunt Maps. And that is a invaluable tool um, for us as far as seeing landowners or getting a bigger picture of, you know, maybe where the birds are flying from, where they're going to. Um, but once we've found a place that we're going to hunt, it's, it's all about the details at that point. You know, we will stay there as late as we need to, to try to see, you know, maybe, maybe if it's a loafing pond, you know, maybe they're coming in at seven o'clock in the morning and they're, they're steadily coming in to nine and then maybe they're sitting there, you know, they might sit there all day and then maybe go feed the last hour or they may sit there all day and then just go back to the roost. Um, it, it, uh, it changes, you know, with weather and, and timing of the year, uh, you know, when it's colder, obviously the birds will go and they'll, they'll sit a little bit later in the morning when it's super cold. And, and then, you know, they'll try to hit some of those low ponds and they may go feed a little earlier, uh, at least down here, um, in the Howard area where we, where we've been the last few years. Um, but biggest thing for me, obviously is, is once I've found a spot is hide. Uh, you know, we, we'll run anywhere between, you know, maybe just a couple of guys, you know, three or four guys, sometimes running up to 12, 15 guys at a time or, you know, anything in between there. So where am I going to be able to hide, you know, guys that, you know, uh, let's be honest, maybe can't, maybe aren't used to hunting that way. Maybe they, you know, like to peek out of the blinds a little bit, you know, maybe they don't hide all that well. Um, so what, where, what can I do as far as, getting set up and making the most out of my scouting that I've done. And, and a lot of that has to do with hide. You know, you can have the biggest, best decoy spread in the whole world, but if you don't have a good hide, then, you know, you're going to get a lot of birds that are coming 60, 70 yards and they're flaring off or they're not finishing. Um, so hide would be my second thing after we figured out what we're going to do. And that, you know, that, that comes from seeing what the ducks are doing and what they're doing when they're in the, in the field or when they're in the pond or they, you know, like I said, in the middle of the field on the edge, you know, later in the season, we start to see birds kind of filter towards the edges of the fields, at least down here. Um, you know, cause they, in, in the beginning of the season, you know, they're going to feed out in the middle. They don't have to worry about predators or pressure near as bad, but they'll, they'll get in a field and they'll start feeding out that center and they'll slowly kind of work their way out to the edges. And that's when you can afford to kind of hunt an edge. Um, as opposed to trying to have to lay out in the middle with, with socks and backboards and, you know, 
where you have to run that really, really big spread. So, Right. Hey, question for you. Yep. You you were talking about whether or not they're on the edge of the, these farm ponds or in the middle of the farm ponds. Um, now, does that tell you anything? Well, it – well, it depends. Um, we hunt everything from a. I've hunted a, a a quarter of an acre farm pond, you know, up against the edge. Just to give you an example of what variety we hunt um, on the edge of, say, a milo field or a cornfield that has willow trees all around it, and I've seen as many as two or three thousand mallards in it. You know, literally, you couldn't stack another duck; they would have been sitting on top of each other. And then we hunt stuff. You know, we had uh probably 18 to 20 days of ice last year solid ice uh i listened listened uh, earlier today and and uh heard wade talk about ice and and he actually hunts with us uh every once in a while and so he i can attest to the fact that we fought ice pretty hard um and we run ice eaters and you know and all that stuff but we'll hunt some of that bigger water when everything starts locking up, that small water starts locking up where they have to go to big water, where it's going to stay open. You know, they got to have, they, in order for birds to stay here, um, they have to have open water. I mean, that's, that's what pushes the birds out. Um, you know, we've got food, but if you don't have open water, they're, they're either going to stay where they are as far as, you know, big, big roost and they'll go out and feed and, you know, they do this thing back and forth where they'll trade, you know, half the birds will get up and go feed and then the other half will stay and they'll actually stay in a big watershed or a big, you know, rock quarry, um, and keep it open. And then they'll just filter back and forth and just their movement alone keeps it. You, keep, you think open. that they plan that out? You think that's like an, something that developed evolutionarily I, as a survival method? I, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, that, I think oh. I, I really, I really do. Um, you know, otherwise they would all, you know, if they weren't worried about it freezing, they'd all get up at the same time and, and get out. Uh, we hunted a lake last year. I call it a lake. It was probably, you know, seven to, I don't know, maybe seven to 10 acres. Um, and, and we hunted it one day and shot like a 10 man in like 40, 40, 45 minutes. Um, just absolute stellar hunt. Um, and then we hunted it like a week later and it was with wind chill. I think it was negative 15. So there was all kinds of birds. Um, this was actually, a, we were actually hunting a roost, um, which we don't typically do a lot, but we will, you know, when times get desperate. Um, but, uh, you know, when they, when all them birds got out, that water froze, I mean, within, within minutes. So I, that, <laughs> I really do think they know that if they stay, if, if some of them stay there and they keep moving around and they'll keep it open. You know, so it's, it's essentially, they're essentially just being little ice eaters swimming around and, and keeping the water open. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what coots are for, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what, what advice would you give to somebody that's only got access to, um, maybe a couple, or a big WMA or a big lake per se? Uh, how would you tell them to go about? If that's the only place they can hunt, how do they how do they scout it? Well, you know, sometimes if you you know if a guy was going in to hunt a spot and you know maybe you don't have a boat or maybe you know you're limited on decoys, um, at that point, 
you know, then you need to fall back on your biggest thing is, is, is hide. I mean, I, I'm a huge component of that. I, I know most everybody is, but, um, you know, if you can get set up in a, a good spot, maybe you're a hundred yards off the X, um, but you got a really good hide. You've got the sun at your back. Maybe if you're lucky enough, the wind at your back or a crosswind, um, and you've got a really, really good hide, then you got a chance at pulling some birds, you know, you know, you, you may not shoot the, you know, the real big flocks or, you know, or anything like that. But if it's just you and two or three of your buddies and you guys can, you know, get four or five birds in at a time, then that's all you really need. You know, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather finish, you know, five or 10 birds, you know, in good killable distance and have a hundred come in and still shoot the same amount. Cause then you're educating a lot more birds. You know, if you get birds to stay around for a long time and you educate birds day in and day out, then your birds will start to get stale and they won't, they won't work. They won't work very good and, you know, or won't work at all, you know, and then you're, then you're, then you're having to change your whole operation. So getting into a spot like that, if you can get a good, a good setup, get as close as you can to the X quote unquote, and and have a good hide, you know, I think you could probably shoot some birds that way. What do you do when you find the X, but there's absolutely no way to hunt it? Oh, phew. well, I think it, uh, I think it varies, um, from situation to situation, obviously, but, uh, what do you do? Well, there's a few things you can do. Um, obviously you like to try to get as close to the X as you possibly can. Um, you know, there'll be times I'll give you an example. Last year, there was a field that was about a quarter of a mile from one of our big watersheds that we have. And this was about 10 days into our freeze. Well, we couldn't hunt the field. We didn't have permission to hunt the field. Um, but we had a watershed that these birds were flying over to get to that field. So we went in the middle of the night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, went in with chainsaws and cut a hole open and got the ice eater in and went back in the next morning and set a pretty good spread, almost like you would for a, a migrator spread. And, you know, it took an, the birds didn't really start flying until about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, but 9 o'clock to, to 12 o'clock, uh, we shot all the birds we needed. We shot, shot our limit out, and, and we did that a few times in that one spot um, just because we had open water and, and we were able to traffic some birds that way. So that, that would be, you know, example of not being able to hunt the X, but trying to adjust to where, you know, if you can't hunt the X, so maybe you need to fall back and see where the birds are flying see if there's somewhere that you can run traffic on them, um, or, or get set up close to them. Um, and, uh, and do everything you possibly can as far as hide and decoy spread and, and all that stuff to, to make sure that you can try to be successful. Are there any tells or when you show up and you're glass in for the birds and you see it, is there anything that tips you off that, okay, yep, this is going down. This is, we're good to go. This is what I'm looking for. Just something specific a guy ought to look out for. Well, uh, so let's see. So like uh, we get a lot of mix, like a lot of these ponds and stuff that we hunt down here. Um, you know, we'll, we'll shoot, we'll shoot graders. Uh, we shoot big Canada's down here. We'll shoot a few lessers, but we don't shoot a lot. But, um, you know, the lessers are going to be out kind of where our new, our new part of the operation is going to be in central Kansas. But, uh, 
Um, you know, if you if, if I pull up to a spot and there's a thousand geese and you know two or three thousand ducks on a ten to twelve acre watershed, and the geese are up laying on the ice, sleeping and preening themselves, and the ducks are just if they look super comfortable, you know, and they're not super alert and they're, you know, they're getting in there and, and they're staying there and, you know, and they've been there for two or three days, you know, that's a pretty good sign that those birds are going to, you know, they're not just going to not come back the next day unless something drastic happens. Um, you know, so if you can find birds that are comfortable or they've been there for three or four days, you know, usually, um, when you're hunting, uh, when we hunt a field or, a or a pond, um, you know, there'll be birds that'll be going into it two or three days before we even think about hunting it. You know, we'll, we'll let it essentially try to build up, you know, the birds will get more and more comfortable and more and more birds will come to it, whether it's a field, you know, in central Kansas with lessers and snows and specks and ducks, or whether it's a, a farm pond down here in Howard, where it's mainly mallards and big geese. Um, so we'll let, you know, if we find a pond that these birds are starting to use or a field that the birds are starting to use, we'll let it, we'll let it build up quite a bit if we can. Um, and, uh, and then try to get in there after them. But, you know, the flip side of that is if you're going into hunt a field, if you let them sit there too long, they'll feed the field out. And then the day you go in there, maybe the day that they decide not to come back. Cause it's, there's not a lot of food left. So we found a field last year that, is up near uh, Leon, which is about 45 minutes west of here, that the farm, when the, when the beans were, were about to be picked, they had a hailstorm come through and, you know, beat up quite a bit of the bean pods. Um, and we actually didn't hunt it until probably Jan. You know, we didn't, we, we didn't even get permission or find the field until January. And there was still food in it. And they had been in it for, you know, on and off for a month at that point. So, uh, that would be something like in a field, you know, if you walk into a field and you're able to go out there and kind of look for sign and, and look for food, you know, I was able to go out and look in this field cause they'd been there for a while and see that the center of the field was pretty well fed out. You know, at, at some points they were feeding only, you know, 15 to 20 yards off of a huge hedgerow, which is perfect for us. It was a South hedgerow. Um, so we had the sun behind us, um, you know, had a great hide. The birds were coming from the north, uh, coming off of El Dorado Lake. And it, you know, we couldn't ask for anything better. So that's what, that's something that when scouting really paid off. Okay. So aside from glassing birds from a distance and whatnot. So let's say I'm a guy, I get permission to hunt on this, on this small farm pond. And I go trouncing out there about 1 p.m., um, are there things that I should be looking for when there's no birds there? You know, I'm out there on foot. What should I be looking for? Well, yeah, sure. You can walk the whole edge of the pond. A lot of times, you know, depending on what the wind has done, you'll see a lot of, you know, if birds have been using it, you'll see feathers and, um, tracks up along the banks, the ducks, the ducks and the geese down here. A lot of times they'll land in the water, you know, they'll get some drinks, they'll preen themselves. And then they'll, a lot of times they'll make their way over to the bank and then they'll literally sleep on the bank. Um, so you'll see tracks and, uh, feathers and all that kind of stuff. If you see, you know, large guams of, uh, uh, feathers and, and tracks and scat and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, you know, and it's fresh, you know, that you're probably, you're probably in a good area. Then you just have to figure out the timing. 
you got to figure out what time are they coming in here? What time are they leaving? Um, how long are they using it for? Are they just popping in for a few minutes, getting a drink and then getting out, or are they going to stay here for four or five hours? Um, so, you know, and then hide, of course, you figure out where they're going to be, you know, you figure out, you got the ducks, you got the geese. Um, now where am I going to hide? How am I going to get into the pond without, you know, destroying the farmer's land or, or, you know, or doing anything like that? How am I going to get set up, um, to where everything is in my favor as much as possible? <clears throat> So that, that's where I would go with, uh, you know, on, on a new piece, finding permission. You got permission. Now you got to figure out what they're doing. You know, sometimes you may have to sit on that pond for an hour or two or three or, you know, or whatever and, and, and just glass it and wait for the birds and see what time they get there and, and see how they're acting when they get to the pond. Yeah. What would you say? I know we talked about it earlier, but nobody – no – no responsible hunter likes to hunt his roost. He likes to figure out where the roosts are and then figure out how to chase the birds from there. But uh, unless it's the end of a split or, like you said, you're real hard up for birds and it's getting a little rough. But how would I identify what a roost is if I don't particularly uh, – um, know what one looks like or know what that activity looks like. Right, right. So if you're going into a place, um, you know, I'll give you an example. We had a rock quarry that we, we could hunt. And the only time of the year that these birds were using it was when it was super frozen, literally seven to 10 inches of ice on everything else. Um, and the only reason they were using the rock quarry is because it was only open water there was around. It was deep. Um, we couldn't, we, we couldn't even run floaters in it because, you got three or four feet off the bank and it dropped down and the deepest part of it, it was 25 or 30 feet deep. Luckily there was ice that was, you know, that's when I did like having ice. It was three or four inches thick and you could walk on it. And, um, but if you're seeing them birds go in there at night, you know, I'm watching, say I'm watching this place and watching it, watching it and it's dark and there's still birds going into it. They're not going very rarely are they going to go anywhere else. If it's getting to the point where you can't hardly see them and they're still going into this place or, you know, a pond or uh, a lake or whatever, then that's, that's a pretty good bet that that's where they're going to stay overnight. Um, and what I've found, um, we have down in this area, we have, you know, quite a few different areas where birds will, they'll be feeding in a field, um, you know, for four or five days and they'll change their roost every couple of days. You know, they'll find a different feed and then they'll go roost somewhere else. So find a new feed, you know, they'll feed there for four or five days, then they'll go roost somewhere else. So, excuse me, that's how we can kind of, we can kind of get away with it a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you have, if you have to go in and hunt a roost, which we had to a couple of times last year, um, and you've got birds, you should probably make sure that you've got enough guns to go with you because um, as soon as you get those birds out of there, I've had them come back in, landing on landing on us in the dark, putting decoys out. Um, you know, they'll go out and fly around or they'll go, literally will go sit on a frozen lake somewhere until the sun comes up and then they'll try to come back and get in that water. Um, and we had a hunt like that with Wade last year. And uh, uh, it was it was pretty phenomenal, so... 
the I think it was the second time I ever went duck hunting by myself on the Rio Grande. I pulled up my truck and I unloaded and I heard a bunch of duck activity out on the, the river and I thought to myself, oh man, what am I going to do? Uh, the ducks are here already. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just sit in the truck until it's shooting light and then I'm going to head out there and, yep. and then I think I learned that, uh, what would you say? Don't worry about kicking birds off or bumping birds when you get in there. I mean, obviously you got to set up when you got to set up. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so there'll be, uh, there's been a few times where I'll, I'll, you know, if birds are roosting somewhere, you know, they may get up and go feed for a while, you know, in the morning. If they're feeding twice a day, they'll go, go feed in the morning. Um, and we'll go get there right at daybreak and literally wait for the birds to leave. Now, that may be 20 minutes after you get there or it might be three hours after you get there. So that can be kind of a waiting game. Um, if I know I'm going in to hunt it and they're going to sit there all day regardless, then I, we'll go in there and we'll bump them out and get set up, get everything squared away. Uh, shoot our limit out as quick as we possibly can and pack up our stuff and get back out so that the birds can continue to come back. You know, and if you can get a pretty quick hunt in, you're, you're not going to hurt a ton of money. You're not going to hurt a lot of birds that way. You know, um, I've hunted some roots like that where, you know, we'll be done in 15 or 20 minutes and we get out and I go back an hour later and there's four or 5,000 ducks sitting right back where we had just hunted an hour before that. So, um, if you can get in and get out pretty quick, then you're going to be okay. Um, and, uh, and they'll come back most of the time they'll come back and, uh, and they'll come back in smaller numbers. Sometimes, sometimes they'll come back in big droves. So that's why it's nice to have, nice to have five, six, eight, ten guns with you at the time, you know, and have quite a few guys there to shoot with. And that way you can get your, you know, you shoot your birds and, and you have enough guys to, you know, maybe help pack out and, and get out of there as quick as possible. My first experience hunting when I was younger was mostly, mostly deer hunting. Right. Um, so when I went to start scouting for waterfowl, uh, a lot of those same tendencies or procedures, principles, techniques carried over for me. And I was always being very cautious treated almost like I was scouting or stalking deer uh, when I was on these ponds looking for waterfowl. Last year, a buddy of mine invited me and he said <laughs> in Oklahoma and he invited me to come invite this farm pond. He said, Hey, let's go scout. Okay. So we, he drives right up to the, the pond and oh man, like, what are we doing? This is nuts. <laughs> we kicked off a bunch of birds and he's like, yep, they're here. All right, let's roll. So we pulled off and then we watched how they came back and then how they set up in the wind. And then, I mean, the next morning we shot a four man limit in like two hours, but I just was, I wanted your take on, on bumping birds. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I can help it at all, the, the, the ducks, or the geese, whether it's a field, um, or pond, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, it's gonna be like stealth mode. Like I'm trying to put a sneak on a turkey you know, we're going to try to get in there as quickly and as quietly as possible, see what we need to see and get back out of there. I don't ever, ever try to bump. I, if I, especially I'm going to hunt somewhere the next day, the last thing I want to do is bump the birds. Um, because 
they may just go find somewhere else to sit and then you go set up in the morning and wonder where your birds were that you'd seen in there the day before. Well, you bumped them out the day before and they have, you know, found somewhere else, you know, just as comfortable for them to go. So the reason that they're sitting there is because they're comfortable. You know, they found a place that they like, they like the water, you know, they like the, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of food in it, uh, uh, or it's close to their feed field and, you know, they just, they get comfortable and last thing you want to do is go in there and spook them. So I actually have a, uh, uh, kind of a story on that, a, a place that, uh, we hunted, uh, we've hunted over the last few years. Um, last year was notoriously bad. I mean, two years ago, um, we shot like, like 800, like 850 geese. It was a big goose pond. I mean, it was pretty much when we hunted, we would shoot some ducks, but it was mainly geese. Like over the season, we shot like, 850 geese off of it or something um and last year it was just every time i would go to check it um it would be a few birds here a few birds there um but nothing really spectacular and then one day i was in there about nine o'clock and i said man all right the birds are in here and no sooner than i said that here comes a cattle farmer with this round bale on the back of his truck. And he was feeding the cows, not 15 feet from the pond. So he was going, you know, I, I hadn't seen him going in and out of there because he may have been going in there at different times of the day. But every time I did have geese or birds in it, I would want to go in there and hunt. Come to find out he was going in there and feeding his, feeding his cattle and bumping the birds out of there. So I'd go in there and we, you know, we would have a decent hunt. We didn't really hunt it. I think we maybe hunted it two or three times last year um, versus probably, you know, 10 or 15 times a year before, um, you know, or more. Um, but, yeah, that was from the that was from the cattle farmer going in and bumping the birds uh, middle of the day or, or, you know, in the morning. So that brings two questions that I have. Well, I mean, the first is really more of a comment, you know, you like you told me earlier, you got to know a well-rounded picture, uh, time-wise, um, of where you're hunting. Right. You got to know what's going on, not just during the hunting times, but uh, also things outside of it. Uh, the second thing is, is that how do you approach landowners um, to discuss uh, some maybe some topics like that? Hey, can we not do that? Or um, you know, how do you approach that? Or did you approach them at all? Well, you know, most, most of, uh, most of my landowners that I lease from, um, you know, are understand that, you know, that they're going to make some money, um, if we, if, if we can hunt, um, and, you know, they'll do what they can to, to try to accommodate you, you know, or accommodate us. Um, but, uh, you know, we had such good hunting in other places last year that I wasn't, I wasn't super concerned about it. Um, but that would be something I, we haven't talked about it yet this year, but that'd be something we'll probably discuss before waterfowl season this year coming up. Um, but, uh, most people will work with you. I mean, if you, if you respect their land, you know, you don't run up their fields, you don't, you know, you don't leave the gates open and let their, you know, cattle run out or you know leave trash all over the place if you work with them and, and you do everything in your power to take care of them um they'll take care of you you know as far as as far as the experiences that i've had 
um, and, and, and most of, excuse me, most of the, um, landowners I have, you know, they want to see us be successful. You know, they know that we're paying them or, you know, helping them out whatever way we can. And, you know, they want us to be successful. So a lot of them will go out of their way to try to help us do that as well. So. I think another thing that's really important for the listeners to pull out of this episode is that exactly what you just said in the very beginning of the episode, how you got one or two guides that go run the hunt and then you've got X amount of guides out scouting. And I think it's super important. The, the most valuable resource you can, you can say, Oh, I'm going to spend more money on decoys or um, I'm going to go buy a boat. I'm going to do this or that. Well, go make a dang friend. Yeah. (laughs) Split up scouting duties. Um, You know, split up, decoy responsibilities make your own little poor guy duck club that's right yeah yeah for sure yeah that's that's it that's a good point i mean you know i I can't stress it enough like i said in the beginning uh if uh you know a guy doing it for himself if you know and and like a guy that can only maybe hunt saturday morning and then he's got to go to the kids you know football game or you know somebody's birthday you know, you're going to have a limited amount of time that you're going to be able to hunt. So you want to optimize that the best you can. So it may be a case of getting up early, you know, before work and going to try to scout some birds and then, you know, keep an eye on them over the course of the week and say, okay, well, Saturday, that's where I'm going to go hunt versus the guy that just goes in somewhere blindly and hopes to kill a few birds. And you may have a tremendous hunt and you may also go there and watch bluebirds fly over all day. Um, you know, and that's the difference between the guy that, you know, puts in that little bit more effort, you know, maybe a couple hours a week or, you know, maybe 20 minutes changing your route to work 20 minutes or, or whatever, just to go by and check your pond or your check your field or uh, your slough or whatever you might be hunting. Um, that, that's the difference between a, the, you know, the, uh, the do it yourselfers having a, you know, a, a fantastic season or a fantastic hunt you know, versus, uh, you know, I had an okay season, you know, um, and that's just all in the, in the, in the pre-work, you know, the preseason, the pre-scout and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now you're working with a lot more, <laughs> your area is a whole lot larger than mine. Obviously I've got a, my limited, you know, permissions that I have, uh, but is there anything that, is there anything to be said about, I've got four game cams is there anything to be said about setting up game cams trail cams on ponds or uh back sloughs or places where you know birds are going to be just to kind of get a general picture of what time birds are moving in moving out or i don't know if that's a thing or something that y'all do or not but well that that's not something that we necessarily do but uh you know i i know that um you know for instance browning makes uh, a trail camera that we use for deer hunting and it has a really cool feature on it. It's called time-lapse. And you can set that camera up to take daylight pictures, one picture at a time, or one picture a minute, excuse me. And then at the end of it, when you go back and pull your camera card, you just click play. It's a video that shows you the entire day from sunup to sundown, um, a minute at a time. And it, it kind of puts it together on a time-lapse. If you had four or five cameras in four or five different places to hunt, you know, and you put those cameras out like that, then sure, that's something that you could, you know, you could go in in the middle of the night if the birds aren't roosting there, go in there and pull the card, you know, and, and see what you've got. 
Um, you know, it might tell you, well, hey, I can sleep in and go hunt at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, or hey, I need to get in here early and get set up. Um, that for sure would be something that a guy could do um, to try to, you know, optimize his hunt. Okay, so you have scouted uh, your field or your your pond or your river or lake, either way, and you're all ready for the hunt the next morning. Now you're watching the weather. Um, is there anything that pulls you off that off that scouting or that particular pond to go somewhere else or to write it off? Is there any sort of weather pattern that's dang it? Yeah, it changes the game plan for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's there's some you know some ponds and stuff or lakes that we hunt down here that I know for a fact I don't I I, I really can't hunt it on a west wind. Um, it's a lot like you know in that mind it's a lot like a deer a deer hunt because you know I don't unless it's cloudy if you know but if I can't hunt it on a west wind you know to have the optimum wind because I'm going to be staring at the sun all morning, you know, and I'm not going to have very good hide, you know, where if I could set up on the east side, I don't care if it's sunny or, you know, cloudy or whatever, um, you know, and then, you know, we'll get, uh, if you get a, a big push cold weather overnight, um, you know, as long as it doesn't, as long as your water's not going to freeze or uh, it's not going to push birds out, um, then, you, you know that you, you should be okay. You may have to ride it out and sit for a few hours, you know, before you really start getting into them. But you, 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 sh- you should be able to get on birds. But, you know, if you've got a, a big full moon and it's, you know, 15 degrees outside and it's been frozen for 10 days and you get a 25-mile-an-hour north wind, there's a good chance that you're going to lose some birds overnight. You're going to wake up the next morning and be like, where did all the birds go? Cause they're going to get up and they're going to fly south and try to find something a little bit more open. Um, you know, especially on that full moon where they can see at night. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's something, something that you, you may, but in, in that same breath, you may also get fresh birds too from up North. You know, um, I always kind of where I'm at, where we're at, we get a lot of birds out of Nebraska, obviously South Dakota, North Dakota, and all that stuff. But, I would keep an eye, you know, if we had some birds that were maybe starting to get stale, I was kind of keeping an eye on weather up north, you know, in Nebraska. Hey, it's getting ready to be negative 15, and they're going to have a, a stout north wind, you know. Them birds may try to get up out of that out of that river and, you know, come on down south. So that's something that we look forward to as well is when we see those big cold fronts pushing up to the north, we met, we know that we may be getting some fresh birds. And, you know, if you've been, if you've been waterfowl, waterfowl hunting at all, and you you've got a pretty good migration, fresh birds is always a good sign. Um, because sometimes you'll get birds, you know, that have been in your area for a month and they've seen it all, they've heard it all. Um, and they can be really, really difficult to work. So I know that, uh, last year, um, like I said, we had we had some cold, cold weather for a long time, and uh, we had some birds that would start to get stale a little bit there. But uh, we still killed them really well. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, we look, we we look forward to those migration days. So that weather that weather is is another big key, of course. To-
to scouting and, and just looking at your season as a whole, you know, for the next five to 10 days, um, you may know what you have and what you've got coming or, you know, so. Now we've talked about the, obviously the when and the where, and also you've touched quite a bit on the hides. What, what else? Um, when we're talking about scouting, how does it play into what are you looking for as far as um, decoys or calling techniques? Yeah, so, you know, I love going back to geese. We, I, we love shooting big geese here, and I'm looking forward to this year. We're going to be shooting a lot of a lot of little geese out there in central Kansas. But, uh, you know, something that we, we spent quite a bit of money on last year in, in effort was a lot of sleeper shells. Um, we bought a lot of Dakota sleeper shells last year because – we had a lot of ice and the geese would show up and they'd go to a, go to a place or they'd go to a, uh, a pond and they'd get in there and, and they'd get up and sleep on the edge of the ice. So like I said earlier, I'll try to mimic, you, you want to try to mimic what the birds are doing there the day before, you know, um, if there's a thousand birds in a, in a hole, you know, not everybody can afford, you know, 10 or 20 dozen full body decoys or floaters or whatever. So you want to try to optimize what you can and you want to try to set your decoys and, and set your spread as similar as what you can to what you see the birds doing the day before. You know, I know if I go in and I see this place, okay, and the, it's going to be the same wind tomorrow and these geese are sitting in here, um, you know, on the south side of this hole, they're all sleeping, breast facing the wind, um, and, uh, you know, the ducks are maybe hanging out on the other side of the hole. You know, that's how you want to try to set up. I mean, they're geese and, you know, the, the, the geese and the ducks will tell you what they want to see. You know, they're, however they're sitting in there the day before or however they're feeding in the field the day before, you know, that's if you can mimic that, then that's the ultimate goal, you know, um, is to try to do exactly what they're doing and set up how they're, how they're set up in the, uh, in, you know, wherever you're going to hunt. What is in your kit? What's in your tool bag when you go out scouting in the afternoon? Uh, let's see. Uh, probably a probably a white monster is probably the number one thing. Uh, and I've hey, I've, those are the the ones that are good for you, right? Uh, well, if you ask my fiance, she'll tell you no. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but there's there's no carbs or no sugar, right? That's 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 my argument. Uh, you can. We can uh, we can throw a shout out to Barton Ramsey from Southern Oak Kennels for getting me hooked on those. I've got a Southern Oak Kennels pup, so uh, but uh, but a white monster for sure. A good set of a good set of glass, good set of binos, um, and then um, you know my phone uh, having on X on it is a huge a huge deal. Um, and and if we can afford to you know uh, have another set of eyes in the truck, never hurts, you know. Um, and then, you know, if you find a place to hunt, then we'll, you know, I've got another guy named Scott and say him and I are scouting in two different directions and I find something really good. You know, it may be a fact that when he gets done, done doing his loop, he may come over and we may look at everything together and try to try to get a game plan together. Um, but uh, but definitely the the binos, the, the Onyx and the white monsters uh, uh, for sure going to be in my truck so and my dog might be riding with me too 
he usually likes going scouting because he gets to he gets to nap in the truck while I ride around looking for ducks for him to get the next day. Awesome. Now you've got your Onyx, and I think one of the most important things I also carry Onyx. Um, do you also carry the white pages or like a phone book or how do you go about contacting landers? A lot of times I just look for the house uh, or similar property owners' names. And I know it's pretty difficult to find someone's phone number these days without those phone books. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and you can get – you can a lot of times you can search on Google um, and find everything that you would find in the white pages. Um, white pages actually does a premium – um, and if you can afford to spend the money on that, I, I, I think it's only like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 bucks a month or something. Um, you know, I think you can do it monthly, but I run into a lot of times trying to find phone numbers. They might be numbers that are, you know, not connected anymore or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, you the know, landline from the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, AT&T put it in, uh, when they put their, uh, first piece of wire in the ground, <laughs> um, but, uh, but for sure, Google, um, and, and if I can, I really prefer to try to go talk to people face to face, um, just because I like to have that handshake. I like to, you know, for me, leasing land or getting permission is not just about, Hey, I'm going to go hunt your land. I'm going to pay some money. You know, I really try to, I really try to foster relationships with these people because a lot of these people that have been out here for a long time you know, or Lander, you may meet, you know, uh, I'll go to dinner. We'll go to dinner with them. We'll, we'll cook them some dinner. Last year, Megan, uh, my fiance, the end of the season went through and made banana nut bread, you know, for all of our landowners, you know, just a little token of our appreciation, you know, just something to go a little bit further and show them how much it, you know, without them, we wouldn't have an operation. So, you know, I really like to try to, to go that extra mile and just, and just, you know, you may learn something. You're going to learn something new every day. I promise you, if you go sit with a farmer for an hour, you know, if you've got time to do it, um, which, you know, we talk about time is, is short usually for me because I'm always looking for birds or, or trying to get ready. But, uh, um, that's a big deal for me as far as, you know, get permission. And, you know, those handshakes go a lot further than what people think, you know, cause you got to figure that these people have probably been approached maybe 10 or 15 times over the last, over the course of the last few years. And they may have told 10 or 15 different people. No, you know, so it makes a big difference if you really try to build relationships with people and, you know, and, uh, and it's not just a, Hey, I'm just here to use your land and, you know, I'll give you a little bit of money, you know? So that's, that's big for me as far as trying to get permission. Um, but the, the white pages on Google. Um, and then if you can possibly, you know, go, uh, go shake their hand and talk to them. And, you know, heck they might, they might take a case of cold beer and tell you you're good, you know? So. Absolutely. So I guess to kind of get into a couple other few things here before we sign off, but what kind of, what kind of blind are you running? Well, that's a good question uh, because we actually – I've hunted out of avians before, um, and I like them to a, to a degree. Um, but what I've found is that, you know, the, a, the A-frames, the avian X A-frames, being that they're angled on both sides, 
most of the time you don't need to shoot out of both sides of the blind. You're only going to be shooting out of one side of the blind, you know, front. Um, so I actually went through and I was at the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania show, the great outdoor show last year and came across redneck blinds and they have a, the same guys that do the deer blinds, the same guys that do the deer blinds. Yep. They have a blind. It's called the, it's just called the waterfowl blind. So it's very similar to the a frame, but it's made out of steel. The It's steel tubing. Um, so it's a little bit heavier duty. I found that in the a frames, you know, have clients that, you know, want to rest their elbows up on the top and then, you know, you get a bend in the a frame or whatever. Um, uh, but they're, they're a little bit heavier duty. Um, and they're flat in the back. And then on the front, it's got an angled door that literally pushes forward when you go to shoot. Um, and so I really like that, especially for guys, you know, that may be a little bit older and, you know, they may not be able to pop up as quick. Um, you know, uh, and that was really nice. And the, probably my favorite thing about it is that they have, uh, big enough to hunt three guys out of in each one. They've got little, little peep holes cut out of the front of the material, one in front of each guy. And you can throw brush and grass over that. And everybody can look out of the front of the blind and be completely concealed, but be able to see what's going on. I've had some. That's so important to the experience, I think, for especially since that's what you're providing as an experience. Um, I think anytime I take a new guy out, I always. I always. It's hard to stress the, hey, keep your head down. Don't look up. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was something. That was something that I really liked. And, and Megan, my fiance, is a, uh, a professional photographer. Um, and that's something that we do out here, too, is we, we, uh, we offer a photo package with the hunts. Um, so guys can come in and, and literally buy a photo package and get their whole hunt photographed um, by Megan. And she's had some phenomenal photos. But anyway, she captured a photo of a gentleman um, from virginia that came out and hunted with us last year that was probably i think he was close to 80 um just a guy that you could look at and, and tell that he has seen a lot of ducks and he's seen a lot of geese and she captured a picture of him looking out the front of that redneck blind through that peephole and i mean it was absolutely it was absolutely phenomenal and it was really neat because that's something that in and maybe an a-frame that he wouldn't have been able to experience he would have had to have his head down or he, you know, maybe could see the birds. They flew directly over the top, but being able to see the birds out front, it makes my, it makes my clients a lot of more efficient shooting as well, because they've got an idea of what the birds are doing. You know, I'm always telling them, you know, they're coming from the left, coming from the left or, you know, they're coming straight on. But if they can, if they can see them a little bit, then when they pop up, they already know what direction they need to be shooting. So, yeah, you can't talk someone onto a target acquisition. <laughs> they no. have to, they, they got to visually see no. it. So that's really nice. That's, that's, uh, those blinds we've, we've really, we've really liked them so far. So, and, and we've had great feedback from clients as well on those. Sounds like it. I mean, you said you run an SOK dog. I, Southern Oak Kennels. I do. I do. And I heard Wade talk about his today and, uh, yeah, I've, I bought uh jet. He's two and a half now. I bought him, uh, let's see, I would have gotten him in December, uh, I guess it's almost three, de- three Decembers ago now. Uh, Barton brought him up from Mississippi and came up hunting for a few days. And uh, yet we like our SOK dogs. And like Wade was saying, they're, uh, it's, a, it's actually a huge family. Uh, 
Barton is actually going to be the officiant at uh, Megan and I's wedding next June. He's actually going to be the one that's going to be marrying us. So now that speaks a little bit to uh, you're not just getting a dog, as Wade said. No, um, no. You're you're getting a wedding officiant. It sounds like no. too. No, just yep. <laughs> that's good. That's good stuff. I'm in the camp right now. I'm not in a position to get a fourth dog. Um, my wife loves to rescue dogs. Oh yeah. Um, and they're all retrievers. Well, uh, they're all retriever breeds. Um, (laughs) but I got maybe half a, half a duck dog out of all three of them. Um, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to get Barton on here to pick his brain about training. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Just some training tips or talking about getting your dogs tuned up or, out of practice dogs, maybe oh, yeah. you know, similar situation to what I got. Working well, with what you got, because I'm a few years away from being able to purchase myself a, a new dog. Well, so. Cornerstone, uh, Cornerstone's a pretty useful tool, and I think I heard Wade mention it, but uh, but Cornerstone's a pretty useful tool. I I use it every once in a while just for tune-up drills with my dog, and uh, and Megan is actually getting a puppy this fall, well, late fall, early winter. Um, from there. So she is going to probably, I'm going to try to be as hands off as I can and maybe just try to guide her cause it's going to be her dog and she's going to run him. And, um, you know, she actually goes and hunts with us and brushes blinds and, you know, she does it all. Um, and, uh, and so I'm gonna let her try to let her do all the training as much as she can. So I'm gonna try to stay hands off as much as I can, but, uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I was yeah, going to try to guide I, her, but let her do all the work. So, I know you said your fiance Megan would Megan. Yep, yeah. Megan. Yep. Uh, you said she's a professional uh, photographer. Yeah, she's actually a professional wedding photographer. Um, but uh, and she lives back in Virginia. But she spends um, all of December and January, and then parts of February out here. Um, she does a lot of the lot of the cooking and stuff at the house um but uh she's a grinder man she gets out there four o'clock in the morning with us and uh you know helps us brush blinds sometimes and you know uh i've met some guides that uh, she would run circles around you know not my operation but i've seen some in uh some other places that uh i mean she was doing it pretty much every day there's a few days where i had to wake her up at four o'clock and i said ah you know I love you, but you should probably just, you should probably sleep in today. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but no, it's great having her around and she's, uh, she's become quite the waterfowl photographer. Um, she's got stuff that's well-recognized, you know, and she's only been really doing it, the waterfowl side of things for about a year and a half now, uh, for two seasons. And, um, you know, she's had some stuff that Sitka's picked up and Drake Waterfowl and, you know, some pretty big name companies. And, uh, um, she does an awesome job with it. And she, uh, she captures a lot of moments in the blind, a lot of high fives and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Where do we see all those? Uh, well, you can, uh, you can see some of them on our Instagram page at, uh, Hunt Hickory Creek. Um, she runs the Instagram page for us and there's, there's some on there. Um, and then, uh, and then you can follow her on Instagram as well. But there's quite a few photos she's taken uh, is on our Instagram, uh, our Instagram account. And then 
we most of our trophy pictures and stuff are on our Facebook page, you know, at, at Hunt Hickory Creek. Um, and then we've got some stuff on the, uh, the website, but, uh, a lot of that really good content is through her is, uh, is on our Instagram page. So. Awesome. So what kind of kennel do you run for your dog? Is there any other kind of kennel to run than a gunner? (laughs) All right. So I was, I, I was, I took a good bet that that was the case. Um, so we just had, I mean, we just had a, was seven weeks ago we had our first kid and before that all the dogs they would just ride in the the back of my truck not the back bed but you know the back the, the back seat. right yeah. and you know you say what you can say what you want about that but um hey my dog does it so yeah um well now we got we got this kid we're heading up to nebraska next weekend um this weekend i should say and uh we don't have the space <laughs> We got a kid, and then you have three dogs in the back, uh, the both of us and our gear. So, you know, one of the dogs is going to have to ride in the back. So, um, crap, I got to get a kennel. And (laughs) we started talking. She doesn't want the dogs in the ride in the back because it's unsafe. And I said, well, you know, check out this company real quick. And next thing I know, she's going to, you know, in the checkout bin. And whoa, 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 whoa. That's like 500 bucks right there, you know. (laughs) And... Hang, we got to talking, and okay, I said, "Well, call them see if they can get it here by Friday." And and the customer service there, he's like, "Hey, when I get to the office, he, he I think he was already in his truck headed home, but he said when he gets the when I get to the office, um, I'll I'll make sure it gets shipped out, and uh, that's awesome. Have it have that thing to you by Friday. So, All right, yeah. And then another thing, I didn't know, I didn't choose this option, but they have a payment plan, which is oh, that's nice, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I got my, I bought mine through Bart. I bought mine from Barton. Um, I think he's a gunner kennel dealer, but I met Addison at the, uh, SOK summit, uh, in September last year and he's a super guy. Um, uh, but yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty awesome kennels. I mean, if you spend money on, you know, <clears throat> you try to protect things you spend money on and, you know, I, I've spent quite a bit of money on my dog, but he's more than a dog, obviously. Um, you know, he's been in a hunt camp since he was eight weeks old. So whether it's turkey season, deer season, duck season, goose season, whatever. Um, and, um, you know, to spend 500 bucks to potentially, you know, uh, avert a disaster one day is, is worth the money, you know, in my mind. So, uh, Megan is already, is for sure going to buy one for her dog. Uh, she might, uh, she might see if they can wrap it in Kevlar and steel as well. Uh, the way she is with, uh, with her animals. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're great kennels, man. I can't say enough about them. Um, and they're, they're they really are uh, a great company and they, they have some great products. So, um, but I was going to tell you, um, we, we talked about Megan a little bit ago. I don't know if you, did you ever, did Wade tell you, uh, how I proposed to Megan last year? No, nah, he did not. Uh, so we had a goose hunt last year and the hunting wasn't, wasn't all that great, but Barton and, uh, a bunch of guys came up from SOK and Reagan Renfro and Wade was actually supposed to hunt with us at, uh, he hunted with us the next day, but, uh, uh, I proposed to her in a goose field last year up there in Leon. So, Jet uh, brought the ring box out in his mouth, and uh, uh, we we got engaged in the middle of a goose field. So um, that kind of that kind of tied everything together as far as SOK and 
you know, guiding and uh, Barton and all them guys. So it, it was a pretty cool experience. So, <laughs> you know, that's that is really cool. It's very non-standard because I think most marriages end in a goose field, <laughs> not, not begin, not start in one. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, I, I, I'm blessed that I've got somebody like her to support me and uh, and all my ventures. So we've got uh, got a lot on our plate going forward, and uh, we're booking up guys for this new expansion. Um, and uh, it's it's looking good. So we're we're really excited, and uh, it's definitely good to have. Uh, the significant other behind you 110%. So, yeah, well, you can't ask for, if you didn't have anything else, if you had a hole in your waders, all your decoys were broke, uh, muddy and, you know, and your shotgun jammed after the first shot every time, if you have the support and love of your significant other while you're out there in the field, that's all you can, that's all. Yeah. I think, I think Wade, uh, I think Wade can attest to that too. I'm pretty sure Lydia, uh, Lydia uh, deals with a lot with Wade hunting too because he's a pretty hard hunter. So, yeah, uh, my poor wife she she sure does a good show of it. So, <laughs> yep, can't do it without him. Nope, no, we can't. Hey, now, so you you got one of the listeners down there, right? Hunting for turkeys. Yeah, Devin Alt is in right now. He killed uh, he killed a turkey uh, yesterday afternoon. Yeah, we we got on a bird yesterday afternoon and. Got him one killed, and uh, he's out right now this afternoon. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, he gets a second bird this afternoon, and then he's uh, he's heading back uh, heading back tomorrow morning, head back North Carolina. So awesome stuff. Good, good. Getting getting back, getting back down here for duck season, huh? Yeah. What? Yeah, I think uh, I think we were trying to get him to come back out for duck season or goose season. So. I'm sure uh, he's had a good time, and we've uh, we've really hit it off. So I think uh, I think he'll be back for more. We've shown him a good time. So, all right. Well, last personal question I got for you here: What was the first duck you ever shot? Oh, the first duck. Well, the first waterfowl I ever killed was a Canada, uh, and that was in Virginia. Uh, hey, that counts. Uh, a, a big Canada goose. Yep. And then, uh, so I guess the first duck I probably shot. Oh, me. You're really testing my memory now. I want to say it was probably a wood duck. It's probably probably a wood duck is probably what it was. There's not a whole lot of hunting back on the East Coast like it is out here, uh, but hunting a beaver swamp back in Virginia, um, I think it was probably a wood duck. So I uh, shot my fair share of buffle heads and all that other kind of stuff, which you wood guys maybe in Kansas would call maybe a trash duck, but uh in virginia that's uh you uh you get what you can you get what you or you take what you can get i guess so all right well why don't you let the listeners know one more time where they can find you or book a hunt or try to book a hunt with you or something yeah uh my name's chase and we're at uh hunt hickory creek here in southeastern kansas and uh we're expanded to Central Kansas this year, so you can get a hold of us through uh, the Facebook page um, or www.hunthickorycreek.com. Um, there's some phone numbers listed on there, and all the booking information is on there as well. And uh, feel free to get in contact with us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and then we've got a web page. So um, get in contact with us, and we'd love to have you out, show you a good time. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on and learning us up on some some scouting and giving us some of your All right, knowledge. man. I sure appreciate it, buddy. All right. Yep. Have a good one. All Stay right, safe. Man. You too. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great-great-grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.